Amen. Good morning. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Let's stand to our feet. Let's get excited to worship together. Come on. Let's put our hands together for us like this all across the room. Let's respond to the great things that our God has done, has continued to do, and will do. Come on. Hey. We lift our voices this morning. We say, Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. Yes, He has. Come on. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, every voice. Oh 
Go ahead and have a seat. I'm Brian Carroll, one of the pastors here. My privilege to welcome you this morning. And uh, if you are visiting here for the very first time, we are glad that you're here. And at Cypress Bible Church, we say, beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. So wherever you're at in your journey, you're welcome here and we're glad that you came. 
Uh, on the back of your pews, there's a little QR code, and that's the best way to communicate with us. You, if you're new and you want to let us, you want to get some information from us, let us know what you would like to know. We'll be happy to send it to you. Uh, if you have a prayer request, that's a great way to do it. If you have a question, that's a great way to do it as well. And so we encourage you uh, to look at that and uh, if you need to interact with us in any way. At Cypress Bible Church, we basically say there are three pr- primary values, gathering for worship, growing through life-changing truth, and going on life-changing mission. And then we have a serve ministry, which helps facilitate people getting involved in those ministries. And if you'd like to know about any of those items, you can go out to the Welcome Center and they'll be happy to help you out in the back. Um, as you'll notice, in uh, you should have gotten this when you came in, and if you didn't, you can get one on your way out. We have so many announcements going on with all the transitions that were going on through here and all of the different activities and events as we transition to summer as well. So we decided to start doing some handouts so that you could have that information and take it with you. So you'll notice that next week is a membership class. Uh, We just announced 29 new members just a month ago, but we had so many people who couldn't make that who said, can you do another class? So we're going to do one next Sunday, June 12th. If you're interested, it tells you how to sign up to do that. Also, we began and launched on June 1st, Together We Pray. We're encouraging all members of our congregation to be active in prayer at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. as we pray for God's provision and direction as uh, we are in the process of both looking for a lead pastor and then we will also be looking for a permanent worship pastor as well. We're appreciating that Chad is here to provide leadership in the interim, and so we're thankful to have Chad during this time period. Um, Also, you'll notice that this coming Saturday is our opportunity to impact our community. Come from 10 to about 1. You'll meet in the chapel, which is the building out there on the left when you come onto our property. Great opportunity to get to know some other people, and together we'll do some things to serve the community. There are usually a variety of options, so you can come and see what those options are. Also, next Sunday, a missions lunch, you'll see there how you can respond to sign up for that. Uh, Missions lunch, we just had two teams, one team that went to South Africa, and then then also Tony and Lisa Svensson, they just came back from Poland. Uh, Poland was really uh, to find out how we could be more effectively engaged and involved with Ukrainian refugee ministry through the country of Poland. So uh, we'd love to have you come to that to see how Cypress Bible Church can become involved in those two things in the future. And then the last announcement that you'll see on there is Rise Up VBS. Uh, Kids online registration will close next Monday, just so that you're aware of that. People can still come, but they'll just need to to register in person when that happens. And and just as a reminder, that is an evening VBS. Uh, Flyers are out in the foyer. We need your help to get those out. There's door hangers. I need your help to get those out as well. I'm going to announce one new thing that we're doing this year. We saw that it was pretty essential to have a meal in order to get people here right after, after work and, uh, and uh, to get kids to come. And so we are going to be feeding everybody who comes. But we're going to need a little extra funds to help do that because our budget didn't plan for that. And so you can be an encouragement by donating to our VBS uh, Meals Fund. Uh, at $15 per child for a week, or if you want to do a family of four, that would be $60 for that family of four for a week of meals, and you'll see where you go to do that. And so we would invite you to consider donating that. That's all tax-deductible donation as well. But as together, we want to feed our community as we invite both families to come, join a meal with us while they drop off their kids. Um, And this morning, uh, John Perez will be leading uh, us, will be teaching uh, us this morning. John is one of our elders, and so we look forward to what he'll have to bring, and we're in the middle of the book of, of Acts, talking about the launching of the church. So I trust that today God will bless you as you are here worshiping with us. Chad. Awesome church family, would you stand to your feet as we continue to sing 
We're reminded of the goodness of God, even through these transitions. We see God's faithfulness through the men that God has placed in leadership and on the elder board to lead in this season. And we can sing about that goodness together. Come on.
invitation. Can we sing that one more time? Into my life you have been faithful. God some praise in this moment. Let's go before our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this day. God, that in the, in the midst of what could be a busy season, maybe with kids being home, God, we can, we can lean on your goodness in these moments, God, that God, you have blessed us in many different seasons, that you have shown your faithfulness in maybe the toughest of times. And God, we thank you for who you are, God, that you've continued to show your faithfulness, God. When others may have turned their backs on us, God, we can rely on a God who is able, who is faithful to save, who is able and faithful to forgive. Amen. We thank you and we love you. It's in your son's powerful name that we pray this. And everybody in the house said together, amen. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you all today. And uh, today we're going to continue in our series, Launched. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at Stay the Course. How does the church stay the course? And I won't be able to cover every single verse. It's a pretty long section of Scripture, but I'm going to do my best to cover it generally speaking. And what I would like to do is go over the, uh, start from Acts 6, 8 and conclude that chapter. We read, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that, This Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Almighty Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, you reveal your son, Jesus Christ, And you reveal to us our need for such a great Savior. We ask, O God, that you would open our hearts, that you would shine upon us the truth of your word. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. When in space, spacecrafts have a point of destination, 
It's a place where they're traveling to. As these objects travel through space, the trajectory is often affected, and they veer off course. I was researching some of this information, and it appears that something even as small as the pressure from sunlight affects spacecrafts. And even that sunlight will cause these things to veer off course. And those of us who have placed our trust upon Jesus Christ also have a final destination. We have a course. And how we're on this journey, we experience many events that would cause us to veer off course. There are things that happen in our life that would try to rob us of the peace we have through the Holy Spirit. There are some things that even try to shake the foundations of our very faith. And if we look through the first five chapters of Acts, if we were to go back, we would notice that there was a progression of troubles and afflictions that came upon the church. If you would remember, we see that in Acts chapter 2 that the the disciples, they were ridiculed and they were mocked when the Holy Spirit came and filled them as they spoke in tongues. We even saw that Peter and John were arrested for their preaching of the gospel. Not only that, but we see that they were eventually flogged. And the question we might ask ourselves is, how did the primitive church, how did the first century church make it through these difficult times? How did they stay the course of faith? And as we'll notice today, this progression of troubles did not finish with flogging. In today's studies, we're going to see how Stephen became the first recorded Christian martyr in scriptures. And we're going to see how Stephen was able to maintain that course, stay that course of faith. We see how in Acts 6, 8 through 8, 3, we will observe how by the grace of God, Stephen was able to stay the course. We're also going to see how a thorough knowledge of the scriptures allowed for Stephen to notice patterns and see how Israel continually rejected God's prophets. And this also allowed him to stay the course. And finally, we're going to observe how Stephen had a clear vision of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is this clear vision that helped him persevere and to stay the course of faith. And I trust that by the end of this study, we also, as believers in Jesus Christ, will have a renewed assurance so that we might stay the course of faith. Last week, we observed in verses 3 and 5 when uh, Tony preached to us that Stephen was one of the first deacons. And he was full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. However, in Acts 6, 8, we observed that Luke recorded that Stephen was also filled with grace and power and that he was performing great wonders and great signs among the people. And when Luke wrote that Stephen was filled with grace, we are to understand that this to mean that God's favor or his good disposition was towards Stephen. In other words, it greatly pleased God to use Stephen with the authority or power that was necessary to perform wonders and signs and thereby fulfill the will and 
uh, purpose of God. And what makes Stephen remarkable is that he is the first person other than the apostles to perform apostolic signs. Why was God using him in this way? Well, the reason why God used him this way is because God was providentially guiding the church through these signs and wonders to cause a clash between the believers in Christ and those who were unbelievers. But also, as they've taught, these signs and wonders were used to confirm the, word, the, the ministry and the words of those men who had gone to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring in revelation. We recognize that the canon of Scripture is closed, and so these apostolic signs are no longer operating. But church, let me tell you that it is absolutely necessary for each one of us to be filled by God's grace. Why? Because we all have gifts. The Holy Spirit has endued us and has given us gifts which we cannot operate in our own power. How do we persevere? We rely on the grace of God. And as we read earlier, a result of these great wonders and signs was that the group of Jews came and debated and argued with Stephen about his preaching. And these Jews, like Stephen, were Hellenized, meaning they had adopted the language and the customs of the Greek people. And when I read Luke's description of how some of these Jews were from Cilicia, I imagine, I, I, I wonder whether one of those men was not Saul, who we know as Paul. And I think to myself, man, wouldn't that be interesting? I think that because we possibly have one of the greatest Jewish minds of the first century arguing with Stephen. And not only arguing with him, but being unable to cope with the wisdom that came from the Holy Spirit. Stephen was filled with grace and power. It's for this reason that the unbelieving Jews were unable to overcome his argumentation. In the face of what must have been intense argumentation or debate, Stephen went toe-to-toe with these men, and they were unable to cope with the wisdom. It appears here that Stephen is living up to the meaning of his name, which is Stephanus. Stephanus means victor's crown. And we're going to see Stephen be victorious at the end. Maybe not in the way that we expect. Maybe not in the way that we want or hope. But in a way that is pleasing unto God. In a way that glorifies God. And because of their inability to cope, this Hellenistic Jews brought false charges against Stephen. We read in chapter 6 verse 11 that The Jews induced men to falsely accuse him of speaking blasphemy against Moses and against God. And then in chapter 6, verse 13, we read of how in the presence of the council, these unbelieving Jews put forward false witnesses. And they testified that they heard Stephen speak against the temple and against the law. And these charges are horrible charges. They are egregious. Because we are dealing with a group of people whose lives and traditions and customs revolves around the temple and the law of Moses. To be accused of such things is a surefire way of becoming public enemy, number one. 
But at the last verse of Acts 6, we have a most interesting description of Stephen. We read that as the members of the council had fixed their gaze on him, everyone had seen his face like the face of an angel. And there's, there's a great sense of irony in that. The unbelieving Jews just accused him of blasphemy of Moses and blasphemy against God. Yet it was Stephen's face, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. It was Stephen's face that reflected the glory of God. It was Stephen whose face was like that of Moses. If we were to go back to Exodus, you would see that a large portion of that book deals with how Moses had met with God on top of Mount Sinai, and he received the law of God. And this was not a one-time meeting between Moses and God. It was a continual meeting between Moses and God. We read in Exodus chapter 34, verses 34 and 35, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And like Moses, Stephen's face shined because of his continual dependence on God. And my question is, do others see Christ in us? Are we living up to becoming more like Jesus? Especially in face of opposition and troubles, do we reflect the character of Christ? Or do we resort back to our fleshly ways? And I'm going to be honest with you. On my best day, I'm fighting my flesh. I really am. But in those times of difficulties and opposition, when things don't seem to go my way, do I truly reflect Christ? We have here Stephen, who is about to fulfill the words of Christ when he spoke to his disciples about opposition and trials. We read in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for it is the Holy Spirit that will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Beloved, Stephen was able to stay the course because he was sustained by the grace of God. By the grace of God, he was able to exercise his spiritual gifts and he was able to fulfill the will of God. It is by the grace of God that he reflected Christ and the glory of God, even in the midst of opposition. And the Scriptures invite us as well to depend on that grace which saved us, to depend on that grace that sustains and sanctifies us and makes us holy, to depend on that grace which takes us unto glory, that we might persevere in the faith. We observe now in chapter 7 how Stephen is before the council that they ask him, is this so? Is this true, Stephen? Are these charges against you true? And we entered the greatest, one of the greatest monologues in the book of Acts. It's the longest one, that's for sure. And at first glance, it, the defense doesn't appear to address the charges. It doesn't appear that way. But upon careful review, we find that Stephen, 
his speech points out something interesting. It points out Israel's continual blasphemy of God and Moses and the temple. We first observe how Stephen demonstrated Israel's blasphemy of God in Acts 7, 1 through 16. Stephen highlighted several attributes of God. He first addressed God as the Lord of glory. And while the Old Testament mentions many times God's glory, it only uses that specific title once. The Lord of glory, the God of glory in the 29th Psalm. And in that Psalm, David compared God to a thunderstorm in order to demonstrate the omnipotence, the all-power of God Almighty. He compared God's voice to like the thunder and the lightning. And that when God spoke, the trees of Lebanon would fall. And that the mountains and the wilderness would shake at the very decree of God. In other words, Stephen's use of the title, the Lord of glory, was used to remind the council that God's decree is infinitely more powerful than anything in nature. If nature itself is affected by God's decree, how much more is man affected by the decree of God for all of nature submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Yet throughout Stephen's presentation, we are going to find how Israel continually resisted and despised God's prerogative of electing and using and working in the way that pleases him. And second, we're going to observe how Stephen reminded the council of how it was God who revealed himself outside of this geographical area called Israel. Israel, where the Jews regarded this as a special place where God worked, and it was only there that God's presence existed. So Stephen is showing the omnipresence of God, that he is in all places. And he does this by talking about how God was in Mesopotamia when he first called Abraham. And not only in Mesopotamia, but he was also in Haran when God visited Abraham and gave him the covenant. And it was there that he promised Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him. And not only this, but we also see how Stephen brings up how Joseph was visited by the Lord. That he was favored by God. And that he was sold by his brothers into slavery. But even after he was sold into slavery, it was God who was with Joseph in Egypt. And he caused Egypt to prosper. Not just in Canaan. Not just in Israel. But God was also in Egypt with Joseph. And regarding God's sovereignty and election, we read of Abraham in Nehemiah 9-7, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. Likewise, we observe how God was pleased to use Joseph to save the descendants of Abraham from famine thereby preserving the promise that he had made to Abraham of making of him a great nation. And how did Israel react to God's choice? How did Israel, through the 11 brothers, react? Chapter 7, verse 9, Stephen reminded the council that Joseph's brothers became jealous of him, and their jealousy resulted in them selling Joseph into slavery. And their treachery was not against Joseph alone. 
but it was against God who desired and chose to work in such a way. Israel blasphemed God when they rejected the, the prerogative, the divine work of God in choosing whom he wills. And then in Acts chapter 7, verses 14, 17 through 43, we have a huge portion of Scripture dedicated to the life and ministry of Moses. And like the previous two historical figures, it was God who favored Moses. Moses was chosen by God to lead a people out of Egypt and to receive the law. And in the context in which we find this language, it should help us to understand that Moses didn't do anything to favor God's grace. He was chosen as a baby when he had done nothing yet. And God was pleased to use Moses. And not only that, it was in fulfillment of the promise God gave to Abraham 400 years before. But we see that Israel reacted not once but twice in rejecting Moses. And I'm going to concentrate on the second rejection. After Moses liberated Israel from their bondage in Egypt, God gave his law to Moses so that Israel would know how they were to love their neighbor and how they were to love and worship and serve God who is holy. And even though Israel possessed the law, which reflects the very holy nature of God, we read in verse 40 that Israel abandoned God and they trusted and preferred idols and they worshiped these idols. And because of Israel's continual idolatry, we read of their discipline in verses 42 through 43, where we read, But God turned away and delivered Israel up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of Ramphah, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. In their rejection, Israel blasphemed Moses and the law of God. And for their blasphemy, God brought judgment upon them. Judgment in the form of enemy invasion. Judgment in the form of deportation into a foreign land. When Israel did not understand was also this further thing, that the tabernacle and the temple were symbols of God. We observe that they had made the great mistake of overestimating the temple and also the tabernacle of God. We read how in verses 44 through 50 how Stephen then narrates that from the time of Moses to the time of David, Israel was blessed to have the tabernacle. And it was in the tabernacle, which was a portable sanctuary, that God met with his people through the high priest. Likewise, Solomon built a beautiful temple. And it was there that God was pleased to meet with his representative in order to speak with the people of God. In both cases, God graciously condescended to meet his people. But Stephen was forced to point out an egregious error 
of the people. They have overestimated these buildings. We read in Acts chapter 7, verses 48 and 49, where Stephen said, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? And what Israel failed to understand was that the tabernacle and the temple were symbols which represented the heavenly temple, the heavenly abode of the Lord. We read in Hebrews 8 of how Christ is seated as our great high priest and he stands and he sits at the right hand of God ministering on our behalf. And of the tabernacle, the author of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, wrote how it served as a copy and as a shadow of the heavenly temple. In other words, these buildings, the tabernacle, the temple, Cyprus Bible Church, and all of the churches are meant to draw our attention to one thing. That the church is Christ with his saints. The church is Christ and his body. And Israel failed to recognize this. May we never overestimate the buildings in which we congregate. They could burn this place to the ground. And Christ would still be victorious and on his throne. He would still be reigning through his people as he sits at the right hand of God Almighty. And we're sustained by that knowledge. We're sustained. We're able to stay the course because we know the Scripture. It has been made known to us by the Holy Spirit. We finally arrive at the climax of Stephen's speech in verses 51 through 53. Stephen provided a historical summary of Israel's continual rejection of God's chosen man and of God himself. And he leaned in to give them that final verdict. We read in verses 51 through 53, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law or as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. This is truly sad. It's sad because the ancestors of these men who served on the council killed the prophets. They killed the men who foresaw and prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's sad. That's horrible. But sadder still, more horrible still is that something greater than Abraham came to visit Israel. Israel, Abraham received the covenant, but it is Christ to whom the covenant points to. Something greater than Joseph came. Israel was saved by the grain and the bread that was provided through Joseph, but Christ came. Christ came to this foreign land. 
And it was Christ who gave of his body and of his blood that we might be saved and sustained unto God. Something greater came than Moses. Moses, who was called and chosen that he might liberate the people and give them God's holy law. But it is Christ who came and he saved us from the realm of sin and bondage unto Satan. And it is Christ who gives us his law and places it into our hearts. Something greater than David and Solomon and the temple came to Israel. Yes, the tabernacle, the temple was the place where God met his people. But Christ, Christ is the temple. It is he who is the true house of God. And he brings those who repent of their sins unto himself. It enjoins us unto him where we may experience the very presence of God. And they killed him. They crucified our Lord. And this is what Stephen delivered unto them. This is the news. Stephen concluded his defense. And Luke, with these words, painted a most holy scene. We read now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they covered their ears, and they rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. They went on stoning Stephen, and he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And our beloved words almost fail me here. They fail me because I think deep down we all know something very special occurred here. By earthly standards, this appears to be defeat. Who would cast their lot into a movement in which men ridicule you and they arrest you, they falsely accuse you, they flog you, and now this, they stone you? Who would do such a thing? Who would join such a movement? By all earthly measurements, no one would join such a cause. But Stephen had a vision of Jesus Christ. And those of us who believe on the Lord Jesus have this same vision. Do any of you remember the moment that you first believed? I do. I slept underneath the pews of church on long Friday night services. I remember. But I also remember... The first time I felt the conviction 
of sin. And I remember beholding Christ for who he truly is. And I don't mean I had a vision. I don't mean that I dreamed a dream. I mean that the gospel penetrated, convicted, and worked in my heart. And I saw Christ for who he really is. And I think all of us remember that. And this same vision of Christ is the one that we must always have clear in our minds. We must never forget who Christ is, what his benefits are. And we must always remember that these things which belong to Christ are much greater than the affliction and the sorrows which we experience here in life. Are you suffering today? Did you come here today with the unbearable weight of life on your shoulders? And my message to you is look to Christ. Be satisfied and be content with him. For apart from him we have no other good. It's Jesus alone who lived a righteous life that was pleasing unto God. And it is Jesus alone who satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf that we might be saved to the glory of God. And if you've never trusted in Christ, do so. Today is the day of salvation. And if your vision of Christ has grown faint, it's not too late to behold our living God. It is not too late to see him through prayer, through the study of word, through meditation and contemplation of Christ. We too are able to have this vision of Christ that we might stay the course Unto the end. What was the result of Stephen's martyrdom? We read in Acts 8, 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen. And they made loud lamentations over him, but... Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And did you catch that? The church scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. In other words, the suffering of Stephen was not in vain. This is the final point Luke makes to us. That our suffering is not in vain. That if we suffer and are afflicted, it has great purpose in fulfilling the plan and the will of God. Stay the course, brethren. God is with us. God is with us. I invite you to pray. Oh, great eternal Father, we are blessed by your word. It is such a great honor to be able to serve you. It's such a great honor to be called the children, sons and daughters of God. We ask, O oh God, that you would heal every broken heart in this day. We understand that we might not receive or achieve earthly success, but we have all things in you. We praise you, O oh God. And we pray these things in Christ Jesus' in holy name. Amen. A great way to respond to the message in this day is through...
communion. Uh, we're going to take the communion together, so just wait till the end. But these symbols of communion are representation of Christ with us. That He is with us. Not that they themselves are the body and blood of Christ, but that God, through His Holy Spirit, is made real to us. And we're able to memorialize the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we take this uh, special moment of communion, just reflect on your life. For the Scriptures tell us clearly that some have become sick and some have even fallen asleep for taking of the supper in an unworthy manner. Therefore, look unto yourselves and ask that Christ would reveal through His Holy Spirit those things which are in need of repentance. Take this moment and reflect.
that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Cyprus Bible Church, let us partake of the bread which represents the body of Christ. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Cyprus, let us partake of the cup which represents the blood that was shed for our sins. The Lord bless you all. And uh, if you could please pass the cups to the end of the, of the aisle and the deacons will pass by to pick them up. to respond to the sacrifice that our God has made for us. Scripture tells us that he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so through that, we respond to his sacrifice by keeping our eyes on him, no matter the season or the storm we may find ourselves in the middle of. We depend and deny ourselves in this moment and give our God praise together. Let's sing that together one last time.
Cypress Bible Church, receive this benediction. May the Lord be with you and me. He cause you to prosper in all your ways. And may the grace of God sustain you through his Holy Spirit. Peace be unto you.